wineskin without new wine, but you can't have new wine without a new wineskin. And so he's changing the face of the church. Uh, he's making us more like him. You're going to see smaller gatherings are going to come together who acknowledge the presence because, see, the revival that's coming to the earth is an individual revival. It will start individually and it will spread through the family and then the family will become the revival and that will be the church. We have placed so much on organization and events. And you come to Myrtle Beach, we got one church that gives you a full breakfast if you come. Glory to God, they do. You can get bacon, eggs, biscuits, pancakes. They're growing. They're like 2,000 people. But how many people know you can be a big church full of little people? You can also be a little church full of big people. And I'm not to condemn anybody's work because that between them and God is what they do. But I'm here to tell you there's a people being cultivated by God. He knew you before you were born and this is your hour. And some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. This is what God created you for. You just won't settle for anything less. We have a ministry on Monday night called The Garden and we gather people and they come from different churches and they're so hungry. We'll spend three, four hours of taking responsibility for our neighborhood, for Horry County, for Georgetown. Listen, if something's going on in your backyard and you don't like it, point the finger to you. You're the Christian with authority. You're the one who gets to run the devil out of town. And if you don't run and you, you don't run him out, who is? So we take responsibility and I encourage you to stay on the prayer chain, the prayer line. Stay on that. But I'm not going to talk about that this morning. But what I do feel like we need to do is, can the music just, just do a little interlude for me for a moment? I just feel like there needs to be a breaking off of um, a few people in here. Maybe you could not connect. Let me just, just by a show of hands, how many people in this room would say you really felt the weighty, weighty presence of the Lord this morning? Would you just raise your hand? Okay. You can put it down. Now, for those of you that may never, did not connect, this is for you. Amen. If you're willing. Um, as the music instrumental just plays for a moment, what we're going to do is I'm going to ask you, listen, this is, if we can keep this place a family, you've succeeded. Once this becomes a church organization, we're going to fail. When this place becomes organization, you need to turn it back into organism. You need to raise up some people and start another church. Because if you get to 2,000 people, the Father's heart's going to water down too much all the way down. Now, I'm not telling you what it should be or shouldn't be. I really am not telling Todd. If it's 2,000, praise God, you have 2,000 people. I'm sure God will give you the skill to handle that. But there's some people in this room that need a Father's touch. You need, to, you need love. And you're willing to say, you know, that's me. There's such a weighty, weighty presence in this room right now. And I wouldn't want anybody to miss this this morning like Todd said. With every eye closed for a moment. And that's you in this room. And you say, you know, I want to feel the presence of God. I want him to wrap his arms around me this morning. And I need help. I'm falling apart. It seems like the world around me is not connecting. I feel distant from God. If that's you, would you just raise your hand right now in this room? Thank you. Is there anyone else? Thank you, ma'am. Is there anyone else? Anyone else? Anyone need to come a little closer to God? Need to get right back with God again or introduce yourself? Can I introduce you to my daddy this morning? Is there anybody in this room that would say, yes, that's me. I want to meet daddy. Amen. Okay, you can look up at me. There's people who raised your hand. Not many raised their hand. Praise God. That means we got a very healthy flock here who received God's love this morning.
But let's all do this for these people. All those people that raise your hand, would you just repeat this after me? This is how I got saved, guys. I am, I'm a big advocate wherever I go that if I have an opportunity to, to do the Lord's Prayer, let's do it. Amen? So let's all do this together. Say, Lord Jesus, forgive me for all my sin. I believe that you're the Son of God raised from the dead. Come into my heart, Jesus. Change my life, Jesus. Be my Lord and my Savior. Today I declare I am born again. I am saved. I am heaven bound. I am Holy Ghost filled. Your will in my life, Lord. Amen. Thank you for letting me do that. Amen. Where'd my little David go to? He was right there. He's on the drums. Glory to God. Can I give you a public word? When I was standing here beside you, I felt like the Lord said, you're the David in the field. Often maybe overlooked. God is going to give you the ability to play instruments like nobody else. It's going to be so intricate. The love that you have for the Lord is going to explode in your heart in ways that you've never imagined. Being in the field is a good place to be and you're not being left behind, the Lord is saying. It's in the field you're going to learn how to fight. It's in the field you're going to learn how to sing. It's in the field you're going to learn how to move those fingers with the anointing of God on every instrument you touch. Are you a drummer? Uh-uh. Uh-huh. You're a guitar player, aren't you? Yeah. That's why you're on the drums, because God's going to create these new avenues for you to begin to move in. Amen? Because you're in the field. And you're going to take the time to pay attention to God. And He's going to say, use this weapon at this time and use this weapon at this time. Because you're going to learn how to wield it. Amen? All right, praise God. Amen. I want to give a amen. I try not to give too many personal words in, uh, when, I, when, when we go out, but I got a word for the church. Is it okay maybe receive it or bless it? Uh, when I came here, I heard a sound. Sounds are important. Do you know sounds always precede a movement? Shh. Have you ever been to the mountains? And when you go to the mountains and you get out of the car and you go down to the creek, what's it sound like when you're far away? You hear the bubbling brook? The closer you get to it, it gets louder. The more the river rages, the louder the sound echoes. And the Lord is saying to this church, there's a sound that's going to precede a movement. You are called to be a unique church. You're not called to be like the Joneses next door. You are called to have an individual peculiar call. This is a place of creativity and freedom. See, that sound is the same sound that God made when He created the earth. It's the same sound that Elijah heard when the bones were rattling together and God was creating a new army. It's the same sound that brought Lazarus from the grave. And it's the same sound that brought Pentecost, a sound of mighty rushing wind. A sound will always precede a movement. And I'm here to tell you this church has got a sound in the Gibsonville area that is going to be so broad beyond Burlington into the Greensboro Triad area all the way to the center of the universe in Kernersville. It's a sound that those people who were created for that sound is a homing device in them before they were born. And they understand this sound and they will come from the north, the south, the east, and the west. And they will come and they will sit at Jesus' feet 
and there will be a river that flows from here the river of life it will bring healing to the nations you will send out people and you will do you also uh, create avenues for new churches to be built with the father's heart this is a very unique place and don't take it lightly with a very unique pastor and a very unique pastor's wife don't take them for granted Todd's got the heart of gold I love this boy man we're the same age we're both boys the more we grow the less we know I call Todd at least once every two weeks what's going on I love my family I'm a family man I love my boys I got a seven year old just turned eight I got a nine year old getting ready to turn ten Noah and Luke man these guys rock they're my best friends I love being with Noah and Luke my wife is golden got the best wife in the world I love my family I'm trying to think if I want to do I want to do that I don't mess it up a little bit that's okay I want to show can I show you my boys can I can you show my wife and me you know me but this will be my wife that's Lisa Everybody, can we pray for her right now father we thank you for Lisa right now Lord I thank you for the crowning you gave me for this virtuous woman Lord, I ask you to bless my wife bless her daddy bless her father give her a heart's desire now what I do is I want to show you my children is that cool but it's going to pick up the tempo a little is that all right all right this is my children it's got a sound oh it's got a soundtrack on it there's no one luke <laughs> that's boomba run there we go that's fine you don't have to start it ever just leave it there i made them a 250 foot zip line they go about 30 miles an hour on it <laughs> That's our guest house. It's the chicken coop. Chickens are dead. The dogs ate them. This is what keeps my wife praying. That's why she's such an awesome intercessor. And they love the tire swing. Amen. When I get bored, I do weird things and do videos. You can ask my, uh, my youngest son. We were at the kitchen table. And uh, I just, I, this creativity just can flow through me sometimes. And I really have to try and contain it. And I looked over at my son. I said, do you want a mohawk? He said, yeah, daddy. <laughs> now, grandma was at the table. That's my mother-in-law. She went. I said, Lisa, go get the shears. And I gave my son a mohawk. He loved it. And uh, so that goes my life. So you get a little insight of who I am. I, I, listen, I believe in adventure. 
You know, people will pay $10 to go to the movies to live someone else's adventure. I don't know about y'all, but I want to create my own in the Lord. I want my boys to know that they can grow up in the Lord and the safety and the counsel of the Lord and live an adventurous life. It doesn't bother me if God calls them to India. It may bother them, but it won't bother me. I want them to do the Lord's will. Amen? Okay. Um, I think what I'm going to do is uh, I'm going to open up. You can open up your Bibles anywhere. It's all good. So, uh, I'm trying to figure out if I want my musicians to go away. Y'all are so anointed. My God, just being back there, I feel safe. Glory, glory. What I'm going to do is I'm going to give a little uh, ministry time. I believe that the church is moving into the last phase of the end times, which is a call to intimacy. We know that early on in the church when we went through the dark ages, there was a time when it was like the heavens were ironclad. And then we know about the thesis that was pinned on the door and man came open to the word of God and the word of God began to change man. And then through the years, time came along and God broke in again and he broke in with a message with the Father's heart. That's where we are now. That, That we would raise up a generation of fathers. We don't need more leaders. Glory. Sunday is not the most important day of the week. Church. Monday through Saturday is. What you do between Monday and Saturday is the most important day of the week. Your most important tool is a cell phone. How are you doing? How is life treating you? And we have got a paradigm in the church that it's ran through an organizational mindset. We get to learn about the six conflict steps of resolution. And we get to learn how to be great leaders and go to seminars. And bless God, I'm all for good leaders. No one wants to be behind a bad leader. But to have a good leader with the Father's heart is success. And we need more fathers in the church. I'm going to play this next video for you. I'm not a video guy. I don't normally do this. I, I'm so off the cuff. You can ask Don and BK. There's times our congregation, they'll come in, they have, I my, change the whole seating in the church. I'll just do as the Lord says so we don't ever become complacent and comfortable. Amen. And this is not something I normally do is play a lot of videos. But I do want you to get a hold of this one video because I want you to see a little bit of my past. So I can, when I give the word and the message a little bit, you can refer back to it. Is that okay? Okay, let's do that real quick. Um, this is 2006. This is my wife and I. We had this ministry. There's some sound to it somewhere. If there's not, we'll shut it down. No sound? We'll watch it just a little bit. I want you to see these kids. I want you to see how hungry they are. Don't tell me you can't get 500 middle schoolers and high schools fired up for the Lord. We lived it. In this application here, there's a youth ministry. We did dramas. We did dances. Um, we traveled. We built a mobile stage worth $80,000. Traveled all over. I really wish you could hear this, but you're just going to have to hear it with your spiritual ears right now and, and sense the hunger that's in these kids. I want you to see these kids on the floor. 
70% of the kids on the floor right now do not know the Lord. What did I say? Do not know the Lord. No one taught them to dance. We didn't do a step line teaching. There's so much presence in this room right now. These kids just totally came undone. I still get testimonies from that particular event. You can just stop it there. That's fine because you're not going to be able to hear the testimonies or some of our preachers. What I wanted to show you is I wanted to show you the ministry side of my life because where I'm going is not going to be the ministry side of my life. But when I get to that part, at least you can go back to a referral. Amen? Good. Are y'all ready? Okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to get into <clears throat> Song of Solomon. Now, who preaches out of Song of Solomon? Who put that in the Bible? That rated our book. Well, I'm going to minister out of Song of Solomon. It changed my life. And to understand the Song of Solomon, you really need to read it from the beginning to the end. It's a storyline of love. And it's a storyline of the Lord's love for the church. It's a storyline. It's one of thousand that uh, actually um, Solomon wrote. These are plays. And this one happened to be canonized and put into the Bible. So the Song of Solomon has a lot of meaning to me because of the journey that I have taken. And I'm going to start off in... Song of Solomon 4.10. We're going to go to chapter 4, verse 10. This is a call to intimacy, a road to intimacy. This is probably the number one thing that the body of Christ needs to embrace. Men, I'm here to tell you, there is no male or female in Christ Jesus. That's how you can have such a loving relationship with Jesus. Uh, when I first got saved, I didn't like the idea of having to love a man. It's the truth. Come on. Men don't like a bunch of, you know, fuzzy messages. You know, we're men of steel with velvet hearts. And that's what God wants us to be. So let's go to Song of Solomon 4.10, starting in there. It says, How beautiful is your love, my sister, my bride. How much better is your love than wine and the fragrance of your oils than any spice. Now we have the Lord speaking to the church. This is how much he loves us. He's describing his love for us. He describes us with wine, fragrance, oil. Does that sound like God? Spices. Isn't that Jesus? 4.11 says, Your lips drip nectar, my bride. Honey and milk are under your tongue. The fragrance of your garments is like the fragrance of Lebanon. And if you obviously look at the words that are being used here, we can see their thread throughout the Bible. The Lord is revealing His love to the church. He loves you so much, you're the apple of God's eye. Yes, you are the apple of God's eye. He loves us. He loves us. He loves us. Didn't Don and BK do an awesome job this weekend? They personify love. Everywhere we go, every time they need a Jesus, it doesn't matter if they know BK or not, they pick Him. It's just amazing. Okay, so we're going to go to Song of Solomon, starting in verse 12. Now this is going to depict the salvation experience. A garden locked is my sister, my bride. A spring locked, a fountain sealed. What this is, is this is the salvation experience. When you come into your first relationship with Jesus, He immediately says, no one can snatch you from my hands. You are mine. 
And, and, and God wants us to protect that garden experience. It's a sealed deal. Matter of fact, it says that we are sealed until the day of redemption. Once we come into the knowledge of Jesus Christ and we are saved. But only kings had private gardens back then. And it says a garden locked. See, only kings were privy to a garden. And the kings used to go to their gardens and they would walk in the gardens and they would have their special fruits and their special spices and the different things that they would have in the garden. And they were only allowed to go in there and they would put high walls all around the garden so no commoners could come in and nobody could steal anything from this precious garden. There would be gifts in the garden. People would give gifts that would go to the garden, special fruits from other lands and special spices. This was a very sacred place. He'd walk through the garden and the king would just enjoy his garden. And that's what Jesus does with us. It's like going back to the Garden of Eden. He's coming back to the cool of the day. When we get saved and have a right relationship with Jesus, Holy Spirit's in our life and he's connecting us back to the Father. He comes and he walks in our garden in the cool of the day. He desires intimacy again. When Jesus came, he didn't just come to save us. Did you know that? He came to reconcile us to the Father. That's what the Bible says. He wants to put us back in the garden. But where's the garden? We are now the garden. We're the garden that Jesus is walking through. He comes at any moment and says, Do you want to take a walk? Or do you want to take a stroll in the cool of the day? i got some intimate things I want to share with you. I love visiting my garden. Jesus loves it. You are a rare breed. You're a special flower. You're unique. You got a special fragrance only you have. And Jesus goes, Mark, he's in here. And he walks through the garden. And he fellowships with me. Me and daddy have fun. The king's garden had a seal on its wells. So no intruders can contaminate the well. That's what it says. A spring locked, a fountain sealed. It was a water a place to water the garden that could not be contaminated. So they would seal the well so that no one could poison it as well. So we're sealed so that we would not be contaminated. And that's how Jesus sees our salvation. He loves us. It's about me and him and him and me. It's the same garden in the Garden of Eden. But it changes a little bit in Psalm uh, uh, in, in 4.13 if you go to 13. It says, your shoots are an orchard, pomegranates with all choice fruits, henna with nard, nard and saffron, calamus, cinnamon, with all the trees of frankincense, myrrh, aloes, with all the choice spices, a garden fountain, a well of living water, a flowing stream from Lebanon. See, the Lord recognizes your gifts and your talents. If you read all the different fruits in here, you will come up with nine in this verse. We know that there are nine gifts of the Spirit, and we know they are what? Nine fruits of the Spirit. And God wants us to operate in the gifts and in the fruits that He has given us. After our salvation experience, immediately we have that gift to walk in. We can immediately move in the gifts of the Spirit. We can immediately start exercising the gifts of the, uh, 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 of the fruit of the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit. It's a great, great opportunity and honor to have that as a Christian. That's what separates us from the rest of the world. Glory, we got a God that's still alive. I got a dual citizenship, guys. I'm an American and I'm a citizen of heaven. Wow. At any moment, I can check into my heavenly citizenship, check in and just reach into heaven and grab what I need to bring to earth. We keep waiting to get to heaven, but God keeps waiting to get heaven to earth. The garden experience shows that there's fruit 
There are nine gifts of the Spirit. But the thing about this is you can't stop there. You can't stop at salvation. And you can't rest alone on your gifting. You can't stop at the fruit of the Spirit. I wish I had all the gifts. I love the gifts. I want all the fruit of the Spirit. But on our journey to the road of intimacy, some of us may just stop at salvation. Others may come into a place, the charismatic church, who have found the gifts, and we may stop in the gifting. And the problem with stopping in the gifting is that then we begin to find our identity in our gifting. Oh, we begin to find our identity in our function. So when someone takes our gift away, we become sad. Oh, Lord. I have a young man at our church, and I've been fathering for a while. He was getting himself into trouble, and... He was a key worship leader, and, and, and I would sit down with him, and I would father him and say, you really need to get this together. You need me, call me. If a temptation is hitting you, call me. I don't care if it's 4 o'clock in the morning, call me. We'll pray through it. And he looked at me and said, please, Mark, don't take the worship microphone from me. It'll ruin me. My heart broke for him. Because I realized he find his, uh, he's finding his identity in his gifting. And so much of the charismatic church stopped there. My function, my gifting is where I draw my life from. But God is saying, I am the great I am. I am everything. I am all for gifting. Do you understand? I am not knocking gifting your call is who you are. Your gifting is what you do. Apostle Paul said, I, Apostle Paul, called. So your journey as a call is who you are, but your gifting is what you do. So we want to find out who we are so that we won't get stuck in just what we do. I hear things in the church... Amaze me. People will come in because we created a culture of the church that's all about the church. You know, we're still in our salvation experience. It's still about me and Jesus and charismatic tongues sound like this. Me, 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 me. Me, 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 me. It's all about me. My gifting you need. And if you don't want it, I'll sneeze. I'll leave and go down the road. Whoa. Because the church down the road will use my gifting. Bless God. In this phase, the church asks a lot of the pastors and the giftings. They want good music. They want good preaching. They want all these services. But the moment the pastor comes to us and says, there's something wrong in your life, we all of a sudden buck up and go, well, who are you? Our culture is going to have to change. We've got a little sloppy agape in the church. Our pastors are here to protect us. Amen. Unfortunately, some people just don't get past this phase. But those of you who do get past this phase, it takes a certain ingredient to get past it. Some people don't even realize. Now, I showed you that video because in my call and in my walk, we were building huge ministry. Huge. I mean, huge for youth and young adults. And what I found out was I was building my kingdom. Whoa. See, gifting will puff you up. The Bible says knowledge puffeth up. So if you've got a lot of gifting, your anointing will take you where your character can't sustain you. 
And so what happens is this gifting that was within me of leadership, I mean, if you know who you are and you begin to operate in it, things just happen. I can walk into a building, know no one, and within six months, I will have volunteers running through our church. Everywhere. The first place I walked into when I went there was 20 kids. By the time I was done, a year later, we had 64 volunteers working a youth ministry. And at least 10 of them were giving me 30 hours a week for free. But the problem with it was, it wasn't that I loved God. I pursued God. I loved people. But there was this thing called ego. Let go of my ego, let it be. It'll break up the family. Ego will break up the family. Won't it? And God told me, you're going to have to deal with this ego, Mark. So I'm going to go into verse 16. Now here we have a change in language. It says, Awake, O north wind. O come, O south wind. Blow upon my garden. Let its spices flow. Let my beloved come to his garden and eat his choices fruits. Now the language is changing here. It's going from the Lord speaking how much he loves the church to the church saying, come Lord. The church is coming to a place of revelation. And it's saying, north wind blow, south wind blow. Lord, come into my garden. The problem with this prayer is it's stupid. You know why? Because it's going to break you. Now when I say stupid, you know what I mean. We sing a song today about the north wind and the south wind. It was the first song, wasn't it? Matter of fact, she says, come and break me in the song. So you're all been duped. You sang it this morning. <laughs> See, the north wind is a cold wind. Matter of fact, it even talks about the wind and the gold on that song. And what happens is in the north wind is a cold wind. It's a strong wind. In Myrtle Beach, if a northeasterly comes up to the beach, it'll ruin the beach. It's like a hurricane no one saw coming. And they would take gold and they would go to the mountaintops and they would allow the north wind to blow underneath the fires of the kettles when they would begin to refine gold because that's how hot they could get it because of the wind blowing from the north. The north wind will come into your life and it will ruin you in a good way because the Lord doesn't do it in a bad way. Uh, I picture, I have a, sometimes I'll take a salad bottle a salad dressing of oil and, and vinegar or, or the one with the sediment on the bottom, you know, Paul Newman or something. And God comes and he says, everything that can be shaken will be shaken in your life and that will remain will remain. How many people have gone through a season of shaking? You take that salad bottle up though and you shake it, at least you get the right ingredients. You cannot pour that salad on your salad unless you got it shaken or it's not going to taste right, is it? And the world doesn't need to taste somebody half shaken. They need to be tasting us as we're supposed to be shaken in the fullness of who we are. So that, that bottle that God, when he shakes us, is that north wind. It comes to break us. But God is so balanced. It says that there's a south wind blow. He is such a balanced God. And that's a warm wind. That's the wind that farms. That's the wind that brings in the things that need for the farmers. We need the south wind because that's the blessing wind. While he breaks, he blesses. Amen. I hit the wall so hard that I didn't know what was up or down. I mean, I hit it hard. I was building my kingdom. Loved the accolades. I loved all our little powerhouse t-shirts I gave all my leaders. You know what I mean? She invites him into the garden. She says, Lord, come have your way. How many people have done that? Come have your way in my life. North wind blow, south wind blow. Come, Lord, come have your way. 
See, this is another threshold we got to get to. Maybe you just stay, stopped at salvation and now you've moved into, maybe, hey, you know what? Maybe you're visiting and you're not used to the spiritual gifts. Or maybe you're coming awake into that. But I'm telling you, there's more than salvation. There's more than gifts. Now, there's this place or a threshold that you come to. It's called brokenness. It's a prayer we eventually, usually all pray. North wind blow. After the Lord takes us up on it, we wonder why we prayed it. We say, Lord, break us. And we like the idea of the Lord breaking us. It's great, isn't it? Lord, break me. But all of a sudden, he uses unconventional means. I didn't ask for Sister Rita to break me. Usually start something like this. Now, I really love you, Mark. But. If he would just use himself, I would rather be dealt with God. <laughs> so I'm going to move into the next threshold, Song of Solomon 5.1. It says, the Lord takes her up on it. And he says, okay. And he goes, I came to my garden, my sister, my bride. I gathered my myrrh with my spice. I ate my honeycomb with my honey. I drank my wine with my milk. Eat, friends, drink, and be drunk with love. So the Lord takes her up on this. Now this is the threshold of change that comes into our life and it's called ministry. See, the first two thresholds is kind of selfish. It's me and the Lord and that's about it. It's salvation. Then it's gifting and it's still all about me. But then the next threshold is the threshold of ministry. We get broken and God says to us, now go feed my sheep. We are so eager to do that, and ministry calls us. And that's when we lay down our life, and we selfishly come here at 7 o'clock. Like Todd gets here before anyone else, if he can help it. Open up the church, shut it down. Make sure he's the last one to leave, him and his family. Constantly having phone calls of people who are being broken who need help. That's the ministry's call. I love ministry. I love to minister. It's good. Everyone should love to minister. Hopefully you'll come to that threshold in your life. Well, it won't be the me, 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 and it'll be all about God, and you will minister. But there's more than ministry. You can't camp out in the world of just ministry. So men build their kingdoms in this place. You know what I found in the church? That I was building my ministry on the sheep's back when the sheep were supposed to be building their ministries on my back. I stopped smelling like sheep. Pastors that don't smell like sheep, something's wrong. I asked the Lord, I said, Lord, after I came into the acknowledgement of who I am and and I was broken and I began to see these things around me, I said, Lord, what are you going to do? I'm concerned. Lord says, Mark, I'm not nearly concerned about things that you are. Ministry has made you more concerned than you should be. You have an evangelist for a senior pastor, and he preaches every Wednesday and Sunday. Not, I'm not saying Todd is. I'm saying if you do. And that's all he does. Then guess what the congregation becomes? It's called mixed seed. If you don't have the five-fold ministry flowing in your church, how can you ever be balanced? You know, I don't know about you, but I don't want to hear my same pastor Wednesday and Sunday preach about evangelism and make me feel guilty because I wasn't created to go hit the streets. Maybe I'm an introvert. Maybe I like one-on-one evangelism. Maybe I don't like the idea that I'm on the streets. I have to get on my young people who are evangelists like this all the time. They're like, the church is sleeping. They don't want to go on the street. I said, I don't know about you, but I don't go on the street, but I'll tell you what I do. I got my neighbors saved. I got my neighborhood in in the Lord's clutches. I go to Walmart, and I make sure I pray for people. It's a lifestyle for me. 
Now, let me tell you something. There's some people who don't get involved. They don't want to stop somebody dead in their tracks and say, hey, do you know Jesus? If your personality is, a, is an introvert, just ask the Lord to send someone across your path. And then you'll just have a natural conversation with them. And look, and if you're really full of God and the fruit of God is in your life and you at least made it to threshold two and you got the fruit of the Spirit, at least they can come to you and eat off your tree. They go, oh, that fruit looks good. There's something about you I just feel like I can trust. What is it about you? I can just, I, I don't know you, ma'am, but I can trust you already. I love your eyes. I can see straight to your soul. And it says you have been worked through. And you have a past of greatness and a great future. There's a lot of seed in you. There's a lot of places in you that you have planted seed. And God is saying, I'm germinating it now. And the spirit of my, my spirit is watering it now. You are not too old. You hear me? You are not too old. This is just your beginning. If I had a dollar bill, I'd give it to you right now. Say, start your ministry with your first dollar. The church has got to wake up. We've got to understand it's not about more mortar and more bricks. It's not about soccer fields. It's about the true raw power of God, and it only comes through love. If we can actually have the fruit of the Spirit in our life, when we go to our jobs and we go to our workplaces, the fragrance of the Lord will begin to just emanate from you. I worked for USC Today for eight years. I used to walk through the offices, and I would just say, Lord, just be my fragrance. I'd walk through. There was this one lady, and she was a secretary in the church, and every time I'd walk by, she was damning her printer. Printer won't work. Blankety, blank, blank, blank. Lord stopped me. She said, go back and tell her to bless that printer. I walked by the door and said, hey, so-and-so. I said, you know, instead of cussing at it, why don't you say you want to bless it? Bless the printer. She looked at me like I was crazy. I said, I just thought I'd tell you that. Walked away. I get a phone call because I worked out of my home, left Charlotte, came back to my home in Winston-Salem, sitting in the office. Phone call rings. She's going, you ain't going to believe this. I go, what, what, what? She goes, my printer, it just started working. I've had no problems with it. I said, well, why? She says, because I've been blessing it. <laughs> I don't know. There's different styles. I'm not going to knock anyone's. You know, there's two different styles of ministry. How do you know? How many people know John the Baptist was only two miles down the river where Jesus was ministering and Jesus was doing his ministry? And they're like, hey, aren't you supposed to hook up with John the Baptist? And Jesus is like, no, no, John the Baptist has got to do what he's got to do and I got to do what I got to do. So it's okay whatever ministry that you do. This is not a condemning message. So the threshold, we got to walk through them. Amen. And so I asked the Lord, I said, Lord, again, why? Why? Why does the church take the tithe and put it into TV stations? Mm, sorry. Why does the church... Now, there's some people who are called to TV. I've, I've been running the circuit for a long time, but it seems like every charismatic church I came to, I could tell you what their vision is. They have a five-year vision, and it's going to be... Television's part of it, and it's going to be a training center. It's not very many unique places, but I'm just telling you the truth from my heart. I travel a lot. I'm like, Lord, why? Because see, all the tithe is going to building a man's vision. PastorSoandSo.com I don't even like to be called pastor. Just because God's dealing with my ego. I think you need to call your pastor, pastor. But God's dealing with my ego. And so God is saying to me, he's saying, I'm saying to God, I said, what's the deal? What's going to change? He says, Mark, don't worry about it. He said, Eli's sons would steal the tithe and they would, they would dip their hands in that pot and they would eat it for themselves. They did things that I didn't approve of. And he says, but there's a Samuel in the house. 
See, there's a Samuel generation that's being raised up right now. That's why I love a church like this. It's about hearing God's voice. It's about presence. It's what Samuel did. In those days, it says it was rare that they would hear the word of the Lord. But Samuel was the first one to bring back revival. And when he went to Eli and he said, Lord, Eli, did you wake me? And finally, Eli realized that's the voice of the Lord. And it's because Eli hadn't heard the word so long, he didn't get it in the first, the first time. And he says, don't you worry about Eli's sons. You, are more con- you need to be more concerned about my will. Mark, you are too concerned about things that I am not concerned about. I've got Samuel in the house. And there's a Samuel generation being raised up right now. That's why I love young people. Man, they're so hungry for God. It's so easy to get them fired up. Verse, chapter 5, verse 2. I slept, but my heart was awake. A sound, my beloved, is knocking. Open to me, my sister, my love, my dove, my perfect one. For my head is wet with dew, my locks with the drops of the night. I had put off my garment. How could I put it on? I had bathed my feet. How could I soil them? Now, this is where we are with the church right now. Now, I have, I love boating. I love doing something. My boys love, you know, getting on the tube. But I had to give up a boat because it was too much for the finances on the gas. It was an older boat. And I wanted a motorboat, so I kept looking for a motorboat. I was on Craigslist. I want that motorboat. I want a good motorboat. Oh, I mean, I'm into my family. And the Lord just would not give me peace. I found this great deal. Oh, man, Lisa, this is the deal. She's like, well, check in with the Lord. Okay, yes, ma'am. Got to the boat. Beautiful boat. I mean, it was one of those sacrifice sales. I mean, I was like jacked. I said, I'm going to get this. Noah, I'm not taking Noah with me. because wherever I go. Noah likes to go. I said, Noah, what do you think? is, Daddy, I like this boat. I said, let's get it. He said, okay. My son goes, but wait a minute, Daddy. Don't you think you should run the engine first? I was like, yeah, you're right. We should. Because it was such a good deal. I was like, oh, if it's a bad motor, I'll fix it. And then as soon as he said that to me from that little voice, a check came in my spirit. And the Lord says, you will not buy this boat. I was mad at God. <laughs> what? This is like the Mac Daddy. Couldn't get it. You know what I ended up with? Kayaks. (laughs) I love them. My family loves them. People come visit us and they're like, this is great, I gotta get one. And who would have ever thought? You know, it's weird. I'm on the river and Danny says to me, one of my spiritual sons were on the river, and he says, Mark, he said, you know what, these kayaks, they're so cool. I said, but Danny, why? He said, because you can actually enjoy the river on them. When you're on a boat, you enjoy the boat. You're doing 45 miles across the river an hour. You're just passing storks and dorks and everything. You know what I mean? It's just, you know, those guys on the boat drinking. But the thing is, you actually enjoy the river. You pull up. It's cool. I like to see a snake or two. It's kind of cool. You know, they're out there and you're in the boat. But we see alligators. We see herons. We see little beautiful flowers that you can never imagine. That I didn't even know where God could create, created them. But see, in ministry, if you're not careful, you'll get that speedboat glory. Uh-oh. And you'll get going so fast that you can't enjoy the river. And the river of life must bubble from us. God is saying you must slow down to speed up. 
we must slow down so he can speed up. Them kayaks have been a blessing. So in verse 2, chapter 5, it says, I sleep, but my heart is awake. She admits she's tired. Here she is. She's saying, I sleep, but my heart is awake. This is what she's saying. Lord, I've been doing ministry all day. You've got to understand Middle Eastern culture. In those days when they would go to bed and turn down, they always washed their feet. And the Lord is knocking on the door and He's saying, Come away with me, my beloved. But she's saying, I'm awake. My heart, I mean, I'm, I'm asleep, but my heart is awake. How many people have had a three o'clock knock on the door from the Lord in your life? And you have said, You have said, Wait a minute, Lord, I'm tired, but my heart is for you. He's knocking. He's trying to awaken the church of this great end time revival. It's a personal revival. It's not this corporate revival where we think we're going to Brownsville, Toronto anymore. It's a personal revival and it will start with you. And it will infect everybody on your job. It will infect everybody in your neighborhood. It will change every family member of your life. It is an effortless thing. It is a being thing, not a doing thing. It's my heart was awake. A sound, my beloved, is knocking. Open to me, my sister. He's saying, open, church, open. She says, I'm too tired. Ministry has got me tired. I don't want to do ministry anymore, Lord. Don't make me start over. A sleepy complacency has come abroad the church. It's like Snow White. We bit into an apple and something happened. We've just gone to sleep. And God is going to arouse us. He is going to woo us. He is going to call us. He is going to beckon us. He will win us with his love. And if you were in this presentation where BK was doing what he was doing to the people behind the brick walls, that was a perfect depiction or demonstration of what God does. He's sitting there going, come child. And they're hiding behind the wall saying, no, I've been wounded. I've been hurt by the church. I can't do anymore. I don't want to do anymore. And BK was just back there gently wooing her. Come out. Come into my arms. Give me your heart. I will give you rest. Verse 4 says, My beloved put his hand to the latch and my heart was thrilled within me. See, in the older days, they used to have to put a hole in the door where the garden was. Because they didn't want vermins and little critters to pop the latch. So on the outside, they would put a hole in the door, put their hand through the door, and then they would lock unlock it from the inside. That's what's happening right here with the Lord. He's putting his hand through your hole of your heart, and he's trying to unlatch it from the inside. He's saying, come, I'm not going to stop. I'm going to keep wooing you. I'm going to keep wooing you. Verse 5 says, I rose to open to my beloved. My hands dripped with myrrh. My fingers with liquid myrrh on the handles of the bolt. There's a great grace that comes when God woos you. Listen, I had a friend of mine once and I told him, I said, you know, I really feel like i got to start studying the Word again more. You know, there's a difference between reading the Word, memorizing the Word, but the difference between all that and studying is a piece of paper and a pencil. And I just got away. I, just, I, I loved it. I, I, put, I got the Word on my MP3 player. I got the word in my car. The word is always constantly in my ears. But I just told my buddy, I said, this really, he said, Mark, you can't do anything on yourself. He said, if the Holy Spirit doesn't draw you, you won't be able to do it. The grace won't be on you for it. See, there's this season after being broken. And there's this season that comes into ministry where the Lord has been patiently watching you build your kingdom. And he says to himself, oh, this time has come. This is his hour. This is the 
point of reference and, and cross-reference between eternity and earth that I called this man to. And he sticks his hand in the latch and he starts saying, come on, Mark. Come on, Mark. I need you. I want you. This is your hour. Don't miss it. This is the time. See, it's more than ministry. It's more than salvation. It's more than gifting. It's a call to intimacy. And he's saying, come on. There's more. I want to show you things you couldn't see. I want to take you into the deepest places of the earth. When there's a tsunami, these scientists rush to the beach because they see things that were uncovered from the ocean that no eye has ever seen before. He's saying, I want to show you these things. I want to put my hand in the hole. I want you to come to me, Mark. And he begins to woo us and that grace comes on us. How many people know what I'm talking about? You're sitting at your job and you're sitting at your chair. You're in front of the computer and all of a sudden this tug comes on your heart and the Lord is wooing you. He's putting his hand in the door and he's saying, come, slip away with me. Go to the bathroom. Go to your car. Do something. Just get away with me. Come, my beloved. Come. The greatest place to be, the highest call, is to be in the presence of the King. Come with me, my beloved. Verse 5 says, I arose to open my beloved, and my hands dripped with myrrh. You can smell the anointing. It's 3 o'clock in the morning, in the morning and God is he's in the room. You, you can feel his essence. You can feel his presence. You're getting hungry. Your spirit starts to groan. You're like, oh God. And then all of a sudden you get up. And this is what happens. It says, I opened to my beloved, but my beloved had turned and gone. My soul failed me when I spoke. I sought him, but found him not. I called him, but he gave no answer. Oh, Lord, God, where'd you go? Do you know God is into the pursuit? He doesn't hide things from you. He hides things for you. So that you would search them out. And that you would be hungry. He's looking for a bride that will pursue him. How many people want to get married to somebody just because they're rich? How many people want to have their husband or their future wife just somebody who's just got an ego and maybe is popular or maybe is a movie star but there's no pursuit because that person they think they got it all. I don't know about you but my wife wanted me to pursue her. He, she wants me to still pursue her. And God is saying, pursue me. John eight thirty two it says, and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. That means reality, truth, if you look it up. Reality is going to set you free some in this room. Your paradigm is about to shift. You got to do whatever you got to do to find the Lord. You got to, three o'clock in the morning, you got to get up and you got to go. Verse 7 says this, as she goes out to find him. I called him, but they gave no answer. The watchmen found me as they went about the city. They beat me. They bruised me. They took away my veil, those watchmen of the walls. Once your paradigm begins to shift, once reality sits in, all of a sudden, all the ministry people who are still operating in the religious structure, you start talking oranges, they start talking apples. It doesn't make sense anymore, and it's all about love. It's all about your beloved. And all of a sudden, they're saying, but you don't understand. You've got to be here at 9 o'clock in the morning, every morning to open up. I need ushers. I need greeters. I need you youth pastors, I need workers, I need gifts, I need all these things. And you're going, no, that's not my language anymore. My language is about people, relationship. It's about God Himself. I was in my office and I was building this great empire and the Lord spoke to me. He said, a breaking is coming into your life. A cup of suffering is going to come into your life, but it's going to woo you into my bosom. And I was like, what does that mean? 
I found out real quick. All of a sudden, this pursuit started happening. I finally said to myself, I'm going to go on a 10-day journey. I'm going to fast for 10 days. I'm going to be like the woman. Yes, people, and we've heard this a lot of times in the Father's Heart message, and we need to. We need to understand rest. But there is a place where you strive after God, believe it or not. The Bible tells you to, actually. So we don't strive in a sense of, oh, God, where are you? I'm broken and I'm wounded. But to go after the pursuit in that kind of striving. And I woke up in the morning, at 3 o'clock in the morning, and I remember that one morning, and the Lord said, wake up, wake up, wake up. I did. I went all the way down in my basement. It was like a lot of flights of stairs. I get all the way down in my basement. I'm like, there, nothing. He fled. He was gone. He wooed me and was gone. I said, okay, I'm coming after you. You want to play that, God? I'm coming. Next night, third night, fourth night, fifth night, decided I better start fasting. And I'm not going to let go till I get my victory. I'm not going to let go till I go to the next threshold he's calling me to. Ten days of fasting. And I remember I got up. It was three o'clock in the morning. I went down into my sanctuary. And I cannot describe to you what happened to me. I walked in that room. And the presence of God was so thick waiting on me when I got there. I curled up in my recliner like a baby in a fetus position. And boo-hooed. For the first hour. On the fifth hour, I just laid there and couldn't move. He awed me in his love. He awed me in his presence. This went on for six months. I would literally go into that sanctuary. I would come home immediately from work. My wife would say, see you later. Because she knew exactly where I was going. I built a sanctuary in my basement. I would go in there and I would go for six, eight hours straight. Not coming out. I'd put soaking music in. Me and the Lord had the best time. I welcome that cup of suffering back in my life again. It won't bother me one bit. I have never been that close to the Lord in my entire life. And what he did in those six months would have taken 16 years. He broke me from the inside out. He healed me. He deposited the Father's heart within me. When I came out of that chamber, I came out a new man. Then he picked me up and moved me to Myrtle Beach. So that I would start off right in our new leg of the journey. It's the Father's heart that he put in me. I'm going to end in this. Verse 8. It says, I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, if you find my beloved, that you tell him, I am sick with love. Those musicians would just get ready just to play right now as we are. What, What time is it, Todd? 10 after 12. Is that okay with y'all? I'm here to tell you something. There's a baptism about ready to hit the people in this room that are getting ready to go to that threshold. It's a baptism of love. And when you get doused in this love, it's the kind of love that you can't describe. For six months, I tell you, I went to work. And I would go in my office. And if someone called my office and said, I need a stapler, I'd cry. I'd boo-hoo. I was just in love with Jesus. I was enamored. I would go to Myrtle Beach and visit my in-laws when I was living in Winston. And I would leave and I would have dinner. And and my in-laws thought I was crazy because I would disappear for two or three hours. I would go take my car and I would just sit in front of the ocean. I would put soaking music on. And I guarantee you if someone were to touch my door handle, they would have collapsed right there. It was a glory cloud of weighty, weighty presence. I fell in love with the Lord all over again. I want that for every Christian. 
And every person, maybe you're at the threshold of salvation. Maybe you're still trying to find your gifting. Maybe you're at that place of brokenness. Maybe you're in that ministry mode. But there's no place like the call to intimacy.